Hello and welcome to another episode of I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things and today we are once again thinking of spoiling things and that thing, not things this time unfortunately, well hopefully it'll be things at some point because it's half of a thing, I don't know, I'm thinking of spoiling half of a thing I guess. Um, I'm Stephen and with me is Vaughan, hello. Hello. And what are we thinking of spoiling today? This week we are spoiling Dune, Denis Dune Villeneuve's part new one. part one of his new sci-fi epic franchise and now that we're now that we're here it was unclear at the time that both of us viewed it mm. but now that we're here part two has been greenlit and i believe is shooting next year yeah and um, i think that's still with with the with the elephant in the dune room which is the decision made around splitting into two parts i remember um, years ago when they first for very kind of like money grabbing reasons started this trend with the harry potter films of Mm-hmm. We want to make this into eight movies made Deathly Hallows um, into part one and part two and that spawned like a huge trend in doing that for a while uh, with diminishing returns so you had the Hunger Games doing it um, which very much damaged the last film you had Twilight doing it which meant there was one film of like a wedding um, and then there was a fake battle and a great laugh um, you had the Maze Runner do it to the extent that the last film never happened and then came out as like a TV movie I believe oh is that true um, I didn't know that yeah, I'm not familiar so. with Maze I, Runner I think I saw the first one. I might be getting confused. I think, um, and then also like with the Divergent series, the same thing happened where like they put out maybe the last one at some point. And I think I'm not even sure if that probably came out. Um, and the more famous example is when like The Hobbit becoming three movies. Um, oh, three terrible movies. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, at least two terrible movies with maybe some light fun enough to make up for almost <laughs> one movie uh, but the first one especially i thought was abysmal um so i think for a lot of franchises this has been a bad idea i as much as we should um denigrate harry potter as much as possible for obvious reasons boo um i think it somewhat works there dune coming out not named as part one though it doesn't in the in in the yeah, actual that's... title sequence it does exactly that's what is immediately kind of threw me off going into the movie Mm. is one for the informed people knew that it was half of a book but it was very clear from all of the marketing that they did not want people going into it thinking that they were getting half of a movie but so that all of the marketing was very unclear as to what it was all of the marketing calls it just dune and then you get into the movie and the title card comes on and it says dune part one and it's like oh okay Finally, we're Which committing to it. Once you're in the seat, they're like, okay, just so you know, this is half of a story. Which is a bit of a trick. I don't know. It it, it does remind me, though, of the problem of selling sci-fi to people. I think, I mean, you and I are big science fiction fans, but as, unfortunately, the public has shown time and time again that there is not a huge market for original science fiction outside of Star Wars. And the success of Star Wars, maybe we'll think that there was a huge taste for sci-fi, and I don't right. think there is. I think the biggest example of this, do you remember the John Carter film? Uh, I know of it. I've actually never seen it, but I know the, I the story of it. I didn't see it either um, because it looked bad. But the, the reason it became a story is because people were confused by the title of that movie because we just came out called John Carter and was like, who the hell is John Carter? Why is there a movie right. about him? This is like a John Wick thing. And the thing was, it's based on, a, I think, a comic series called John Carter um, of Mars. And in like a boardroom meeting, they decided people didn't like science fiction. So let's take off Mars out of the title. <laughs> so there oh, is man. this big fear here with big science fiction. Right. Um, so do you need to do well? 
because Blade Runner, which I know you're a fan of, I can actually see a Blade Runner <laughs> yes, vinyl, so the vinyl back there. Um, because Blade Runner, though a beautiful film, 2049, um, did not do very well at all. Did terribly, so, yeah. Denis Villeneuve, who also directs this, um, gets to do another big movie, but under the proviso that this has to make a lot of money. And I think that's why they don't sell it as Dune Part 1. Right. Because you hear Part 1, you go, oh, that means I'm tied in for Dune Part 2, blah, blah. I don't even know what Dune is. So I get misrepresenting it. But also, it is annoying. Yeah, it does feel very deceitful because there's, especially the marketing, felt very, mm. very specific in the way that it, was kind of clear but just only in a in the way if you knew you know like they had those lines in the trailers like this is only the beginning but you know they were very much not being upfront about it being no. just half of the book and i mean to the extent that there are things that are now this is there's going to be this point that comes up quite a long conversation of well it's in the book of blah blah which is a criticism that i never really like about the thing because yes it's an adaptation of a book but it is not the book it is the film right and there are so many things that in adaptations are missed out of um, that are from the original source that is like, well, we, we can skip stuff and change stuff. I don't really care. But there are so many scenes in this movie that seem to be inserted. So it's like, now we can put that in the trailer and it will look like a bigger right. thing. <laughs> That's a good point. Like there is like, there are three large battle sequences that only take place in dreams. So <laughs> in the trailer, there could be like these grand epic battles, but I'm sure in the book, like he does dream of right. that, but it feels very targeted. And of course, the big presence being Zendaya. Yes, which some people are mm. very upset about because I mean, is she in the movie? She has three lines, maybe, yeah, maybe four. I mean, it's it's very minimal, and she is mostly a vision in Paul's dreams, and then appears very which briefly is interesting. At the end. Right. I don't really like that as a trope of this idea of like the fated meeting. It like I don't know. It creates. I, I think we spoke about this. I don't think either of us are that keen on like the the human story of Dune, the the Paul Atreides storyline. Um, I know that I am not, and the link there with the fated like love story that's been like hinted at just feels just uninteresting to me. Right. And to be clear, I don't believe you have. Neither of us have read the book. Is that correct? No, 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 no. Too, okay. many, too many long words. Yeah, I have not read it either. Um, but just from a movie standpoint specifically, it feels like I wanted it to just go either way. It needed to either focus way more on Paul and the human story or focus way mm. more on the larger political ramifications and that whole concept. And it's stuck in between and it doesn't do either of them exceptionally well. That's kind of my main problem with it as a whole. I, I think I slightly disagree, but I think we'll get to that in a bit because I, I really liked the politicking in this movie. I okay. just did not like the the personal thing, but I do agree with you that it also was given short shrift because right. they need to be like, and then here's the actual story. And you're like, oh, that was the, the actual story. I kind of wanted to still be doing that. Um, so for me, it, it was like truncated awkwardly. But I suppose the question we've been building around is, do you think ultimately doing Dune in at least two parts was a good idea? It's hard for me to say because I don't have that context of the book as far as how how dense it is. I mean, obviously, I know it's a large book with a lot of material to work from. So I, it's hard to say if it should be broken up to be adapted correctly, you know. But I think based on what I have here, it doesn't seem like they did it very well, at least to start, because it's so it's so specifically half of a book and it just ends like if you put down a book directly in the middle, you know, and then didn't pick it up for a couple of years, 
probably not going to feel very satisfying to just pick a random page and and put down the book you know which is what it feels like yeah if if i stopped reading dune halfway through and then had to and then picked it up two years later that would be an issue and i do agree with you there that i am concerned about that right of, yes we're getting dune 2 in two years i'll be like yeah i liked dune 1 that was a while ago it's quite long i may not watch it again i don't know you have seen it twice I did see it twice. I saw it uh, in an early screening with Calvin, and then I saw it again with my wife who wanted to see it. I felt pretty much the same both times. I was kind of hoping that the second time, yeah, kind of having more of that expectation of what I was going to be in for, that I would enjoy it more, but I kind of came out feeling pretty much the same. Um, I ultimately, I think, because I've, I've watched the David Lynch movie. Have you seen the David Lynch movie? I have not seen the David Lynch movie. Um, it's not good, um, <laughs> it's, but it's fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating failure and it's hilarious. Um, but it is the most just like made up gobbledygook nonsense for just like two hours and change or however long it is. And that movie feels rushed and like loads of stuff come in. Okay. And I really did right. appreciate the, I got more involved in the world and the characters to a lesser extent here than I ever did the Lynch movie. Because most of the Lynch movie is like, all of this is nonsense and I don't care. Right. because I don't have the time for it to feel like a universe. So from that basis, I really liked the time to breathe on screen that Dune part one had. And to get back to one of the ending, I think I heard recently is that the ending feels more akin to an ending of a season or an episode of television. Right. Um, which I think for myself and maybe yourself, I don't watch much TV, so I don't, I don't find that hugely satisfying. I think for a lot of audiences, they are kind of used to that kind of like serialization of media. And I don't know if they're going to be as turned off by it. That's true. I, I mean, I will say the other thing, I, I definitely don't watch a whole lot of TV, but the other thing is with TV, you're always, you know, ready for the next thing. And especially with an episode, it's like, okay, that episode ended and now I'm ready for the next episode next week. Yeah. And then usually you have a season that has, you know, its own arc and has a conclusion at the end of the season. And this just isn't that, you know, it is just like, an episode of tv but you're not getting anything next week you know it's you have to wait a long time for it to come back so you're saying that a random fight with a character that we met in that scene who <laughs> proposes a fight for the sake of fighting that no one else wants to do is not a great climactic ending to your not space a great epic. climactic ending to the space epic no um, yeah no i would agree there <laughs> what, what a weird ending scene i get that it's in the book i think this scene is actually skipped in the lynch movie but you have this bit at the end where he's about you know they're all gonna join the fremen it's great let's let's decide this and that randomly just like i'm gonna fight you you're like why right it feels very contrived it's it's kind of out of nowhere like it starts to like introduce sort of like these fremen customs without any context for it mm. and you there's no time to explain it it's just like oh Rebecca Ferguson bested Javier Bardem, I guess. So they, now they have to fight and you have to choose a champion, which is Paul. And it just, it's so scrambled and quick and haphazard. Yeah, it was very, very strange, especially as everyone in the group is just like, I don't know why you're doing this. Right. You don't need to do this. But, and it's, it, it was, because actually I quite liked the way the film handled world building outside of this. Um, I agree with that. Which yeah. is one of my big pluses with it. I really, I really enjoyed the way that it only told you what you needed to know through the characters that would be finding out that stuff. There was never that moment of two characters sit down and explain the word of Dune to each other, which is always a thing to avoid. Right. There's never, as they say, like, as they say in like um, Radio 5 Live, the Basil exposition moment of being like, let me explain the word of Dune. And I'm like, uh. the that did happen is through those video 
book thing. Yeah, I was going to say. Which is when a character needed to know that information at the same time. So that felt natural. And, and those weren't like overly long, way. which definitely helped. No. It was very video gamey, but it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. This moment did not do that at all because you're right. No. It's like frozen. <laughs> a, a, here's a bunch of customs or bars. It's a real shame. For me, it was just so clunkily mechanical in that way of we need to have growth for this character and this character hasn't really grown. Things just happened to him. So let's make him kill somebody. <laughs> he right. hasn't killed somebody. He must kill somebody. Like, oh, there you go. That man's dead now. Yeah, I think that's one of my bigger problems just character-wise is there's not really a, a strong arc for Paul at all. Mm. Things just kind of sort of happen to him and then at the end he's given this like triumphant heroic moment that yeah. doesn't feel earned because I really don't know anything about Paul, I feel like. It's it's very, there's just not enough to him for me to be invested in him as a character. Which I feel could be interesting in, in, in the larger narrative. And it's slightly interesting, this idea of like, um, a subversion of like the um, the hero's journey narrative, because like, Dune is very much playing with the hero's journey. It's not mm-hmm. just like a full endorsement of it that Star Wars is. Right. Um, it is a, a slight twist on it but we don't really know yet and that's another problem but this idea of this messianic figure that things are just happening to rather than him being an agent of change is really interesting to me conceptually but in this truncated half of the film doesn't right. have enough time to be interesting and i think that's kind of part of the problem is that i think if it were to lean into that even more it would be more interesting but because it's a Hollywood production, you can't just have yeah. a movie where there's not really a strong main character. So you have to give yeah. Paul that forefront and not just have things happen to him. So it's still just kind of caught in between. I think if it totally leaned into him just being this sort of unassuming okay. figure that things just right that hap- were happening to him constantly and we didn't really get to know him, but he ended up being that person anyway, that would be far more interesting. But that's not what we get because you have to give Timothy Chalamet the spotlight. Yes. No, I think you're right. That's a good point. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. But yes, you are very much correct. Um, but the Timothy Chalamet arc is, is really interesting. I mean, I, I do still think that having this as two films is the right idea. I think the wrong idea is to not make both films back to back. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Um, it worked for Lord of the Rings because you go film, film, film. If there was June part two next year, that would be great. Now it's just like June part two coming in two years. It's now starting up again. Is it going to be rushed now? What's it going to look like now? What do they actually have in place? Is it going to be a, re- a reactive sequel? Because that's often a problem as opposed of them yeah, that's very making true. what they think is going to be what we want out of this as opposed to, I think this, this one was done really well, um, which is great. So I think it's a very good movie. Um, and it's done really well because people it gave people not what they thought they wanted, but it gave people something and they flocked to it. And my fear is that now the studio know that dune is successful as opposed right. to them being like uh have some money make the dune movie and if it works out well we'll make another one if it doesn't never mind we'll part ways i am skeptical about a dune part two in the For light sure. of dune part one all the all the information that comes out of releasing it before you produce the next one can very easily muddy what happens in the production of the sequel which will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out which leads us to the overbearing question, which is probably annoying a lot of listeners of, is it valid of us to critique half of a film or should we be going, this is only part one and I know that part two is going to do blah, 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 or let's see how things are paid off in part two. I think given the way it was produced, I mean, I think we've been given a complete 
a movie that is supposed to stand as a complete unit. And I think yeah. given Denis producing this entire film, not knowing if there was going to be a sequel, I think it would yes. be important to keep in mind that this might stand alone forever. And it doesn't yeah. feel like they did that in any way. And I, that's what I really struggled with coming out the first time, because when I saw it, I had no idea if there was going to be a sequel. And the idea of that just being left on its own doesn't make any sense at all. Totally, totally. And I, I think that by artificially truncating it, you create issues where there were not issues before, or perhaps were not issues. I've had a lot of conversations about the core narrative of, of Paul and the connotations of that. And I feel that when taken with this film, the connotations of his narrative are troubling in terms of like the beginnings of a serious story. Now, I am assured by my friends, the Dune series ends up being a criticism of that. Right. That may be the case, but it was made that way for that reason. If you release part of that, you have a problem. You don't like make you don't release half of Heart of Darkness. You know, you don't release half, right, half exactly. of Apocalypse now. It's a very different thing. Um, and also I was thinking about this a lot actually. So I think ultimately I will I will give in to the criticism of people saying that you can't say this is white savior story because ultimately it becomes a story about like the falsity of this white saving narrative, to which that may be true, but it's very telling that it's still through this lens of we're going to tell a story about colonialism and the problems of it by focusing on the exactly. arc of the colonial power. We're not going to focus on who it's done. Right. To. We're, we're going to use the indigenous people or those being colonized as a plot device to reflect onto the morality of here, Paul Atreides. So even if they do show him to be an arsehole at the end, it still very much seems that you're actually using an right. indigenous group of people as a device to make him seem like an ass, which again seems like it's open to manipulation. But we'll see. That's my my concern going forwards. I agree. I mean, I think especially taken on its own, you look at this movie and there is this, there is that fascinating political subtext that's very interesting. And you've got these mm. warring colonial powers. And it keeps hinting at how the oppression of the Fremen and them yeah. trying to exist as people on their own planet. And you barely see them and it doesn't care about them. Mm. then it ends and it's like what are you trying to convey with this movie you know i think that's the problem is maybe that all is resolved in the sequel and that's yeah. great but taken on its own it doesn't do very well with that in this movie and that's i think that's a problem which i, I mean one should not make up a different movie in one's mind but i right. think like maybe a better maybe a better way of doing that is is a more of a split narrative approach if you lean into zendaya actually being your lead and you have a little bit of what's happening to the Fremens whilst the Atreides have landed, right. separate from that storyline. So you actually give just a little bit of voice to this thing, because the only time we ever see these people is through the eyes of Paul. And I think that is an issue. Even if he is going to be ultimately their undoing, we only ever see them on right. the terms of the oppressor or the colonizer or whatever, the imperialist power. Yeah, it's definitely not dealt with as well as it could be, especially mm. I think that it's more poorly served by it, the, that opening narration sequence where Zendaya kind of explains everything and it ends on like, <laughs> okay, who is who will be our next oppressor? Which is an interesting concept that then they ignore for the rest of the movie until yeah. the very end. You know, it's just... That's such a harsh juxtaposition in the film of who the next oppressor. Right. And then it spends about 20 minutes with lovable space boys. Of... Right. <laughs> You go to Oscar Isaac being quite charming and he's good at being charming and his character is pretty charming. Like you're supposed to ultimately quite like Timothy Chalamet's character and you very much, very, very, very much like Jason Momoa's character. 
So there is this idea of appealing characters to spend a lot of time with to just just this idea of being like, when's our next oppressor coming? It's like, look, they come with smiling right. faces. <laughs> All right, who, these are the next oppressors, but also we need you to be endeared to them and like them yeah. because they are the main characters of the movie. Yes, where are next suppressors? Oh, our protagonists. It's not right. Starship Troopers. Like this is not like, oh, it's like propaganda film, and we're doing like that. It is. It is a very interesting thing. You're right. Um, interestingly, when I went to see it um, at the screening, we arrived slightly late because usually they spend like half an hour doing credits, mm-hmm. credits trailers, and the yeah, yeah. did not. So we'd missed a bit. Um, and since because it's available on demand, I've caught up and watched that bit again. Um, but I didn't have that opening speech. And I like the movie more without that bit at the beginning. Right, that's really interesting was... that you didn't have that and you liked it more without it. I think that, mm. I mean, if that makes it better, then <laughs> that, that's interesting I... that adding that made it even even worse for you. But it's, I agree, I think I... it would be a better movie without it. Yeah, I, I missed a couple of bits of initial world building at the beginning. Um, and ultimately what the film showed me is all those bits were pointless because those when those things came up, so the voice is introduced at a dinner scene um, at the very beginning of the movie. So the voice is this power mm-hmm. to compel people. It's a Jedi mind trick, but obviously it came before that, so it's where that comes from. Um, the first thing that I saw with the voice was when Paul is just compelled to come to the Bene Gesserit lady and go and put his hand in the Gong Jabar, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. And to me, I was like, what a cool way to introduce that power, because I know exactly what it is. Paul Atreides says, don't use the voice on me. I'm like, ah, I know from this thing what all that means. And then later in the movie, when you see Paul try and use the voice himself, right. that was very powerful. And now I've seen an opening scene, which is like, Paul, do you want to use the voice at the table? And he's yeah, like, that was, I'm trying, <laughs> I agree, man. that scene's very weird. <laughs> and my fun perspective of my secret director's cut is <laughs> cut out that scene and you have much more natural exposition. Um, so there you go. That's, that's very interesting. I do agree, especially when I saw it the second time. I was like, this scene is so weirdly goofy. It was too much, too much like. And right. I think the opening scenes on um, the planet, I forget what it's called, are all too much like this. They have serious Star Wars prequels were hanging around on Naboo vibes. And that dinner scene is so much like the dinner scenes on Naboo in Attack of the Clones. I, I didn't way even think of that, and like now that. I hate it so much. <laughs> way, way too much like, I'm floating a pear in midair and gutting oh, it. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting these vibes and I don't like it. The rest of the movie, I like a lot. I agree. There's a lot to like about this movie. When you kind of, when you just are able to live in the world mm. that, Villeneuve has created and watch everything play out I think it's really interesting and I think it's really beautiful I mean it's yes. shot beautifully all of the effects are just incredible I mean it's amazing to just look at just all of the different places and things that they create for it it's it's just a wonder really and it's 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 not a a um like emotional or profound film like in a philosophical way I'm sure right. that the, the like the Dune series does get to those things but it doesn't feel like a dumb blockbuster and it reminded me that you can be an intelligent movie through spectacle and through being sincere not just through let's just talk themes all the time and let's like have a a politics to it i don't think it's got it is actually though it focuses on politics as a storyline it's not much of a a political work outside of that it's just the politics of june it's not interested that much so far in reflecting our world and our politics but I never felt like I was watching Transformers. I never felt that I was watching, insert blockbuster here of, well, the effects are pretty good, but I might right. as well turn my mind off. I felt satisfied of more like a experiential 
um, satisfaction, which I just haven't had in the cinema for a long time. Definitely. We've not had a blockbuster like this for a long time because I feel like Tenet was the last big blockbuster for ignoring Bond because I think Bond is different because it's 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 this contemporary action film. Right. If we're talking of grand spectacle movies, Tenet was supposed to bring back cinema and Tenet was too focused for me on we think we're very clever and we're going to talk at you a lot and do intelligent things and we're trying to be intelligent. Whereas Dune sits on the screen and lets things happen in a way that's so Definitely. much more satisfying. I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's definitely unique, especially, I mean, just this year specifically, it feels like every blockbuster I come out of just kind of exhausted because it's yeah. way too long for what it is. There's way too much happening. It's everything's got that Marvel quippy inflection that's just yes. so exhausting, you know, and this was so it was it was very refreshing to see something that was just very specific to what it was and wasn't trying to sort of please everyone and tick every box no it, it knew what it was and it's definitely a very singular vision and i appreciated that a lot i like how it approaches scale though as well like i like that there are big things that don't quite fit in the screen spaceships that cut yeah. off to the side and that it doesn't handle scale with the most popular scale we talk about bond and bond handles scale by let's amp up the action sequences i haven't seen the fast and furious movies but all i hear about those is just like now we put a car in space now we're doing this it's this this additive thing where Dune is just like, no, it's just it's just physical size. It's vastness. It's yeah. more of that romantic idea of the sublime, that um, romantic is in romanticism, the idea of this is an object that is just stunning because it's big and because it's awe-inspiring. It is like more a large, imposing thing, more artistic for being a thing to look at. Right. Nothing's like flashy. It's almost like brutalist, you know, like everything is yeah. just very imposing and massive. And it's I like that it, it really like dwarfs all the characters. And it's just it's done very well. I mean, every every tiny set piece is feels that way. You know, even, you know, the, all the rooms are massive, the halls and there's nothing that's just like confined. You know, it's all it's all huge. I love that scale. What I really like about the scale is how the scale works metaphorically of it, it gives heft to things that otherwise wouldn't have. So when it is just people in rooms talking about their squabbles, we get that it's a galactic scale squabble because right. there is this grandeur and this largeness to the film as a whole, which is really, really cool. So the overwhelming presence of the spectacle re really aids it yeah. in one of those. But when it gets actually, the action scenes in this movie are really good. Really, really good. Yeah, that, I agree. Um, the one where the space worm is, or whatever the hell it's called, is approaching that um, spice harvester is just brilliant. Utterly yeah, that's brilliant. a fantastic, fantastic scene. I really like that. And it's a great introduction for the worms as well, because it's kind oh. of like this thing that you're just expecting the whole time. It's like the one thing that everybody knows about Dune. Show me the worm. Show and me the worm. There's that great anticipation for it. And it's the, the one silly bit of like Paul Atreides walking out there to go like touch him. A ship for a while you're like <laughs> mate mate are you okay um i get that the plot needs to happen but i'd forgotten that was the plot for a while because we're not very good at balancing the plot here but are you I'm, okay hanging out down there i believe the the explanation is like he's extra sensitive to the psychoactive x aspect of the spice so when he was at by the spice <laughs> harvester it like made his brain go haywire or something We've all been there. We've all been there. It happens to the best of us. Like <laughs> of when you buy the spice harvester, you know, your brain starts to be its own kind of spice harvester, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that it's a shame that seems otherwise. But there was actually a moment where I sat watching it and I was genuinely struck by the film in a way that I have not been struck by a film for a long time. And it was just it was just a, a panning shot. It was just 
when the um, invasion happens and it's just you go from complete calm inside to then go outside and it's this continuous shot along mm-hmm. and you're just going past firing guns and firing guns and firing guns and everything is so big i just sat there and i was just being like generally in my head being like this is just a thing that only cinema can do um, right and it's a thing that cinema doesn't usually do and a thing that i didn't even know that i wanted from cinema i mean you and i watch more art house movies than most people <laughs> so we get like caught up with right. being, like uh highfalutin arty stuff and like <laughs> cinema is good because it's political and it's meaningful and i'm like sometimes cinema is just experiential right. and like the essence of awe i was just like i'm just watching a camera just like pan passing like firing guns in the air and i was just like this is awesome yeah i was really impressed by that scene especially because even though it's full of explosions and fire and everything it feels restrained in a way like mm especially there's a there's a shot that kind of keeps coming to mind where something gets hit and then it cuts to another shot and it falls and explodes off screen and you just feel and see like the kind of the aftermath of that explosion in the corner like it doesn't focus on it and i appreciated that a lot because i feel like most blockbuster movies any big effect or big moment or big explosion it has to be center screen it has to be focused on and just yeah having that kind of chaos happening outside of the screen outside of the frame felt very satisfying to me in a way that like again like I wasn't I didn't think that I wanted that but seeing it I was like oh that's not something I'm used to seeing I I, I love that observation because I feel like the the key appeal of the story of Dune so far is is Arrakis and the whole point that it's supposed to be this overwhelming planet and by using scale in that way of it doesn't seem like an attraction made for you the viewer it doesn't, and I feel we feel this more in like video games we do in films of the sense that things are happening because it knows that I will be in a space. Right. And in a film, it's like, this is happening because it is a film narrative. But there is that sense, as you were saying, that the world is happening around these people. Right. And that Arrakis is large than these people and the war is large than these people. And that we are, and I like that in that panning shot, the camera keeps low down. It's very much like a boots on the ground yeah. idea of, and we're getting pelted from above. It's really good at playing around with things. Um, the music, what do you think about it? I like the music a lot. It wasn't, it definitely mm. not what I was expecting. I think, I mean, I like Hans Zimmer, but I, I can't get away from, you know, people, a lot of people would say that a lot of his music sounds very similar, which is totally, yeah. totally fair because he steals his own music a lot. <laughs> I mean, Gladiator and Pirates of the Caribbean are pretty much the same themes. Um, but I think he did something very different in this movie. And I think it works yes. really well. It's a really amazing soundtrack that, totally fits with the movie and i think that it's mixed exceptionally well which is rare yes. these days i i was listening to um diddy Villeneuve talk about it who was just fun to talk because his voice is wonderful um <laughs> if, but I, I don't always like what he has to say but i just like listening to him um, but he was saying that this is the first film that he's done that is like pretty much scored the whole way through like it is like right. set to the soundtrack in a way that's almost like a musical and i love that about it because like the sound of the film feels like the sound of the world. It feels like the yeah. sound of Arrakis. And when it's got these melodies that come in that do sound very different, and there are a lot of like musical and cultural inflections, then there is obviously a wider debate to be had about the influences artistically on Dune, the cultural influences artistically on Dune in its music and art design, which are not evident in the humans in the movie. Right. That is a problem. Uh, in times of like it's very much alluding to Middle Eastern art and Islamic culture and representation but doesn't put those people on screen that's an issue Uh, we'll see what we do with that later but 
I guess, the result of that appropriative attitude <laughs> is is a really majestic soundtrack. Yeah. That, that it does do that like Spielbergian thing of it guides the viewer of as like it tells you what to feel, but because the film it doesn't hit the emotional beats you expect of a narrative, it doesn't feel manipulative because it's right. the film is not going through the manipulative arcs. It just feels again a sense of awe and a sense of triumph and pomp and importance. Right. It's not like melodramatic in any way. It's just no. very grand and epic and it it's just it's very it's very awesome is for lack it's, of a better yeah. word yeah but totally. yeah i really like the score it fits so well in that movie in that world mm. um so what did you think about this political story i really liked the um atreides harkonnen um mishmashy stuff loved that i like i think i like the implications and the idea of it a lot more than the actual execution and i feel like there's as with most of the movie, I feel like there's a lot of stuff missing that I am expecting yeah. to happen in part two without really knowing. But I definitely feel like there's a lot of threads of like, okay, this is really interesting. And now I just want more of that. And maybe that's the point because I'm just going to come back for part two. But I do wish yeah. there was a little more that it would give me in this movie. But I do like, I like the general idea of it a lot. The one thing I will say about the Harkonnens, and I know this is issue with the book, but like we can get around these things of the coded race of supposed to be physically grotesque and therefore evil is tiresome, is very, very tiresome. Um, right. The justification is supposed to be like, there's that kind of like, um, uh, I forget what even the word is. I mean, just like decadence, I guess, like that like decadence sense of they've just like tasted all the extravagant fruits of life and now right. they've like made themselves like these like symbols of vanity. But what it boils down to is look at this bul bulbous, stereotypically right. overweight person that makes them evil. And it, it kind of comes to a head in the very Apocalypse Now moment of <laughs> um, the head of Stellan Skarsgård coming out of this pool. And it reminds you of, you know, a different moment in Apocalypse Now, but like the, the Colonel Kurtz idea and like right. not realizing it properly. There's a weirdness around that that I wish was not there, to put it bluntly. Yeah, that's totally fair. I and I would agree. I it's kind of odd when you have all of these you have essentially three kind of chief races that are that take that make up the the yeah the movie, you know, there's the Fremen, there's I mean or, I guess houses. I mean, it's hard to really yeah. delineate um and then the Atreides and then the Harkonnens and everyone's just human except for the Harkonnens who are kind of weirdly not human in a weird way but it's not really explained and i agree it does feel a little when you kind of take a second to think about the implications of it it's not not too great it's annoying that you see the harkonnen straight away and you go oh they're the evil guys right they're, they're, they're the baddies <laughs> whereas and i get that it's doing the flip thing where the atreides are not are also not the goodies so there, there is a thing there but that relies on the harkonnens being defo the baddies right um which you know whatever um it's to be expected unfortunately um Outside of that, I don't, there is an, like, people that have read the books keep telling me that um, that is the thing that in the books is made clear that through um, this is set so far in the future, it is a new kind of like picture of humanity in the sense of race as as a as a concept has changed so much that now it feels like these big groups of people are um, almost like species different. So they are supposed to be like homogenous. That maybe the book the film doesn't say that like that 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 is right. 
that is not the film at all. And the film is also not quite casting it that way. And there is that sense of why do you, we don't need to replicate certain things of there doesn't need to be it's hierarchical society and imperialistic society doesn't also need to have that kind of like weird, almost like Aryan sensibility to it. I don't Agreed, need yeah. that. I just, I don't need to also think about continued racial dynamics, which I was having that a conversation at home about the, what it chooses to, to keep and not to keep and the idea that we've still got like barons and dukes and stuff <laughs> but then everyone else right. is the you're the, the you're the I'm like, well that's made up random word but he's a duke <laughs> right. like yeah I'm there's, not saying there's I'm an interesting made up words but come on it's been like the civilized people they get english and the rest they get the foreign words yeah it's interesting that you say like the book explains more of like that the way that i believe i could have been lied to i don't know i I'm just, I would assume that if you've been told that it would be, it would be correct. And I would assume that the book would delve more into the reasoning for that kind of thing, yeah. you know, a big sci-fi story like that. But it's interesting because when you look at like the, who they chose for the Harkonnens and you have all of these people who are already kind of visually striking people, you know, Stellan Skarsgård yeah. and Dave Batista and uh, David Dalmastian. But yeah, then you don't need to make them weirder like they can just be normal people Stellan Skarsgård is already capable of being an imposing and scary person I mean yeah, he's a terrifying villain in flying Girl across the, the table tattoo. at you right <laughs> you don't need it's to make him grotesque and evil you know but yeah um the other moment which I'm going to use this segment for positive that I really hated in this film was and I apparently it's in the book but again there's loads of bits they apparently didn't put in the film because they come across as badly. But there is a bit towards the end um, when Paul and his mom are escaping. Um, her name is Lady Jessica, I'm led to believe, by um, Latinbox.com. Um, I was going to call her Mrs. Atreides, but she's not because they're not married, as they make clear. That's true. Um, they're escaping, and there is this out-of-nowhere sexualized threat against her that is made very specifically a sexualized threat against her that only exists to add emotion to Paul's character, right? which it's... is disgusting. And also, I don't want to think about this in this world. I don't want to be thinking right. about sexual assault in the world of Dune. I, I don't need to. I know these guys are bad guys. They don't need to be assaulters at the same time. They're already space fascists. Like, you Right. It's this idea that you, evil. you need to like add a reason, like a motivator for like this urgency of protecting his mother, but it's like it's his mother and they're evil and kidnapping you. Is that not, yeah. that's enough. I don't need another reason. You don't need to make them, you know, cartoon characters. It's they're, they're already evil. I get that. They are, they have yeah. come in and killed everyone and they're trying to dump them to leave them for dead in the desert. That's enough. Yeah. I don't need threatened sexual assault played as spice for a moment. Uh, as in spice, not as in right. the spice of the movie, because it'd be like to to be like there you go. That's a bit of an, an extra boost for this moment. Like uh, no, so I was I was really put off by that scene. Like, like that was deep and uncomfortable. I don't know why that's in the movie. Outside of that, Rebecca Ferguson, I thought was excellent in this film. Yeah, she's great. I I mean I think everyone is is really great. Uh, just as yeah, a whole, I, I think agree. the cast is is fantastic. I don't think there's anyone that yeah. really stands out to me. I know many people have their problems with uh, Timothy, but I have nothing against him i thought he did a great job on his own I, his casting is great in this yeah. because the he saves the film from being worse than it would otherwise be because 
Paul Atreides, you need to know is a little bit sus. So you've got this little preppy boy with incel vibes at the center <laughs> of, of the movie. I'm like, nah, I know who he is. Um, it was interesting actually seeing this so close to seeing the French Dispatch, which none of us liked. Um, but you've got him in the French Dispatch talking about his his fears about his new muscles. And I'm like, oh, it's the same character. Yeah, I, I, I clocked that guy. as well. I was like, hey, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, just like it's, Dune. <laughs> it's, it's Sky. Because I remember like, because Emma, um, my partner who I watched this with, she's not seen the, the movie Dune. She doesn't know Dune from anything. She kind of knew the overview of the plot from the, like a TikTok about the world of Dune. But she was saying how at the beginning, she was like, why the hell have they cast Timothy Chalamet for like the the strong lead of this like and then when it got played through she's like oh that's why right. because he's supposed to be this kind of like like neophyte nascent figure that is a bit creepy and does seem a bit i don't know about him and he pulls that off well My yeah i definitely agree he, he leans into it very well yeah but yeah and also as as a someone um, noted out um a, a friend of the site pointed out that what is quite cool about this film is that it boils down to a mother and daughter relationship, and that is really nice um, of a dynamic we don't often see on yeah, like, big budget cinema. We are so used to dad cinema and like dad media, <laughs> right. and like men only showing emotions through like that bond. And it's nice to have a boy that likes mum a lot, and mum likes to support the boy a lot, and their relationship being sweet and actually emotive, and actually genuinely emotional and close in a way that feels very specific to that dynamic that's really good i like that a lot right like i like that also they're both just they seem to both just be good parents like it gives space for also for oscar isaac to be an interesting and good father you know he's very Mm -hmm. caring towards paul but yeah ultimately i like that it doesn't focus on him and there's much less of oscar isaac than i was expecting overall in the movie um but i liked rebecca ferguson being kind of the the secondary main character i feel everyone is very good at knowing the limit of their role of you've got names cast in every role right no point does it seem like that's them that's a movie star everyone is very good at using their movie stardom to add a lot of character to a character that they light up the screen when they're on screen you feel their lack of presence, but you don't miss them. You don't feel like, oh, I want them to be walking back all the time. But right. no, no, one over, no one overpowers the film. I think Momoa and Bardem are the two most charismatic hearts of the film. Yeah. And they steal the scenes they're in, but not aggressively so. They're just like, that was fun. I agree. And we move on. And that was what I also thought was really interesting coming out of it. And again, not knowing if there would be a part two to come out and be like, there are so many movie stars in this movie, these giant triple A blockbuster movie stars that have five lines and they don't know if they're going to come back for another movie is very interesting to me, especially like Javier Bardem is almost not in this movie. I mean, again, like just like Zendaya, like he barely has any lines, but he's there and he's great when he's on screen. And it's, it's, I found that very interesting. Obviously, it's great that now we are, they are coming back, but... Yes. I do like the willingness, and I think it sets up quite early, of big people to have small roles because it, it gives a groundedness to it. You, you, right. So many films, I remember watching, God, sorry to reference this one, did you see The Snowman, Mr. Police, when I gave you all the clues? Unfortunately, Thomas... I have seen that very, yeah. very terrible movie. Oh, God, it's abysmal. So Thomas Alfredson's, yes, he, yes, that Thomas Alfredson's, The Snowman. Um, my friend Michael, who I saw a movie with, had read the book, and at one point, after I turned over to the tether and went, is that guy the killer? And he just went like, 
how did you know? I'm like, well, he's the only movie star left in the film. (laughs) Why else would they cast this guy? Why have they cast this big name in this role if he isn't the killer? And there is never that sense in Dune part one of you spend the first 20 minutes being like, that's a famous person. That's a famous person. They're in it. They're in it. They're in it. They're in it. And then you're like, oh, that means that it doesn't really matter that they're in it. Right. Everyone's huge. Never mind. Right. It does a good thing where it's like, like you said, like if you only have like two movie stars, then you know that they're going to be the focus. So you either yeah. have to lean into these are all unknowns or everyone's a movie star. And this movie does a good job of everyone's just huge. It doesn't matter. They could be on screen for five seconds or the whole movie and it doesn't make a difference. It reminds me weirdly of Knives Out or David Copperfield of knowing how to balance a ensemble cast right. and knowing that different actors bring different dynamics and that you can define a scene by their dynamic but then shift it to the next one very, very nicely. It, it lets the actors have command over the material, but never lets them take the film from them. Right. Um, that balancing act is very brilliant here. And that kind of filmmaking is very difficult, like balancing that many distinct tones. Definitely. And our relationship with these kind of actors is, Jason Momoa, for example, we expect something from him as, a, uh, as an actor. So therefore we bring in our knowledge of Jason Momoa with, with that character as well. And all those roles are doing that, yet that doesn't consume the film at any point. And that's, that's impressive. Yeah, it's definitely impressive. I think the direction is is really fantastic. I know yeah. you're I know you're a bit mixed on Villeneuve as a director, but uh, I, I don't know. I feel like if we look at him as, as as a visualist and the director of actors, I think he is uniformly very, very, very good. It's just he's made some films that I think are crap. Um, Fair enough. And more for political reasons, often. I mean, there's even in, I, I like Blade Runner a lot, but like that film has some issues with like gender representation. And I know there's like a scene of this like again like large panning shot of like nude female forms that apparently people have been like yeah that weren't in the script at all like Villeneuve apparently just wanted that there and you're like okay, okay interesting um, yeah maybe not next time you know <laughs> and there is that sensibility in his work sometimes and I just find a lot of his films to be just pretty stupid um but he he has made three or four films that I think are excellent it's just that he's made a lot more and he's made right. some that I think are Fair really enough. crap um and a couple that people like that I'm like really really <laughs> <laughs> really you sure I want, i'm not gonna say i don't i don't want to make enemies here. i know exactly what like, you're i know I'm exactly like, what you're talking about there's two there's two movies he's made and i watch them and i go this one's okay this one's bad <laughs> and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like really and then he made that fake cronenberg lynch movie that is i get if you hadn't seen a lynch movie or a cronenberg movie his fake one of them you'd be like wow oh i so took me a second to figure out what you were going with that so ambiguous why is there a spider in the shower wow um, but if you have seen a Cronenberg Lynch movie, you're like, oh yeah, it's not nice. It's not as good. <laughs> I even I saw that without having seen a Cronenberg okay. or Lynch movie, and I was like, I don't like this that much. And it was very surprising because <laughs> I like all of his other movies, but that movie just did nothing for me. So I don't know if yeah. if I would revisit that. I mean, maybe I should just revisit all of his movies and reevaluate. But yeah, you've seen some that I haven't seen. I see some that you haven't seen, but we've we've seen the big ones. Yeah. Um, and Arrival is a masterpiece. Arrival was Love absolutely Arrival. incredible. Lot, yeah. um, Blade Runner is great. Sicario is very good. Um, I need to revisit it at some point. And, and Dune is very, very good. Very, very good. Yeah, I think Dune is definitely a good evolution of his, his style. And it's the mm. perfect thing for him to take and adapt. And I'm just now just looking forward to seeing where mm. it all is going to go in part two. And I'm definitely, I feel much better about part one as a cohesive unit now that I know there yeah. is a part two coming. 
but I still feel the need to point out being like, this is a movie though. It does exist. Right. It should it, stand it, on its it, own it and it has doesn't. Issues. Yeah. It, and it and it doesn't. Um, and I also think that the other movies that are parts do stand on their own better. The Fellowship of the Ring is a movie that works as a movie. Um, 100%. And, and feels satisfying. And I think for me, and I know most would disagree with me here, I think Dune picks the wrong point to end of, I felt the build-up at the end of what is ultimately the extended first act, the very, very, very extended first act, because it's kind of like a two-act film, yeah. of we are getting, it's intercutting in that like Nolan-esque way of there's assassination up in space, there's an escape down on the planet, mm -hmm. there's an invasion on the planet, we're cutting from the three perspectives, and they all, two of them end in tragedy, and one ends in victory. And for me, I was like, that would give me a satisfying, it would be a cliffhanger, but it would feel like it closed off everything the movie was setting up because the movie is setting up the entire time the Atreides Harkonnen stuff and it closes that. Right. And then it goes, here is the 20-minute epilogue about Paul Atreides walking in the desert. And I yeah. just kind of zoned out for those bits. I'm like, I wasn't ready for this. I thought we were done. This is a very totally. different tone. The second time I saw it was definitely, I was the whole time I was kind of like, okay, the whole sand thing... I'm ready to be done with the Wait, movie yeah, now. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, you know, yeah. I definitely think they could have picked a better, a, a more impactful moment to end on that is in the movie without having to just extend the runtime further. It could have been shorter yeah. and that would have been awesome. I would probably rewatch a two hour Dune part one a lot more than yeah. I would rewatch this two and a half hour one. And generally, I think it would also help Dune part two because there's a sense of the desert stuff and the escape stuff is, is totally very, very different. And it will be very, very cool to open the next film so totally different. Agreed, and it will prepare yeah. me much more for the, this is the Fremen film. I would have liked, this is the Hardcoding and Trades film. This is the Fremen film. And then a third film that's, and this is the streams coming back together. That's what I would have wanted. Right. The encounter and duel with the Fremen would be a much more interesting opening scene than a final scene. Yes. Yeah. Them getting lost, finding the Fremen, bam, that would be cool. What, what right. a way, like, oh. Let's have an act one interest, but yeah, as it stands, weirdly truncated. But that climactic moment in the film, which is weirdly the climax, not at the end, <laughs> is still brilliant, utterly brilliant. That the three sets come together, just awesome. Loved it. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's there's definitely even though I I do have problems with it overall, I think that there's yeah. it's full of these awesome moments that are just mm. definitely unlike anything else I've ever seen in a sci-fi epic like this, and it's really awesome to see something like that come together. It's also nice for me personally to be in, in the cinema watching a recent release and not be disappointed, you know, because it turns out that all, <laughs> other, all other films are bad. Um, you've got Bond being bad, you've got French Dispatch being bad, you've got Titan being bad, you know. You've got... <laughs> Some of those we don't agree on. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm saying that just to mock you. I, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Titan, even if I don't personally like it very much. I still think it is a, a very impressive thing. Um, but, oh, and Halloween Kills being bad, that, well, uh, Halloween Kills is a complicated one it's bad but fun enough that i enjoyed sitting in the theater and yeah. didn't leave going oh i just sat through that which is how i felt after the french dispatch yeah i know i i halloween kills i was in that liminal space of i wouldn't say this film is good but if someone said it was bad i'd go well it's not bad right <laughs> like is it good i'd be like well no it's not good either like it is bad but i also enjoyed pretty much yeah, all of it bits about it i like a lot there are bits about it but i enjoy very much ironically and i'm aware that it's <laughs> that's <ironic>. very true <laughs> but but when they just keep shouting evil dies tonight and they want to go out and fight Michael Myers, <laughs> that's pretty funny because i'm it like is that's pretty funny. so stupid maybe not um, intended to be but 
it's pretty funny. Uh, I, we're going to get to French Dispatch because we need to talk about it, and we'll, I think we'll do that next time. Um, but I was so relieved on um, your reaction because, like, <laughs> it's that sense of like I write so much for my own blog by myself, and there, and at that point, I was like, ah, whatever, whatever I think about this movie doesn't right. really matter. Like, I, I think it, and that's fine. But me going to this early screening of the French Dispatch, no one I knew had seen it, and I watched it, being like, I didn't like this movie. Am I wrong? Is everyone gonna right. <laughs> I'm really confused. And then I'd be like, if this is my blog, whatever, I'm like, and now I'm gonna put up a review that represents this website being like, this movie's bad. And I'm like, it's tomorrow. Everyone's gonna watch it and go, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and then when first of all, when like Matt, um, our friend Matt um's rating came in and it was like one and a half stars out of five, I was like, phew. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's bad. I was like, oh, thank I God. went in and I was like, I really like Wes Anderson and I hope yeah. Steven is wrong. <laughs> and then I watched the whole thing and I was like, Steven's right. This is not a good movie. Oh, thank God. Because <laughs> I saw it alone as well. And I was like, to the extent that if it wasn't a pandemic and I was rushing out of that, I would have turned to some of the other members and go, what did you think of that film? <laughs> Just straw poll. Right. Did we enjoy that? Was that a fun experience? And it, was, uh, it, was, it was even more like cathartic sitting next to my like being a quote-unquote film critic sitting next to my wife who's very much not a film critic and coming out because sometimes I come out and I'm like I didn't like that but I bet she loved it and then she was like that was not good at all and I was like oh thank god you didn't like it either <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 excellent so we'll, we'll we'll get to the French Dispatch um because there is a lot to talk about there um, that'll be a, a Bond style episode I think um but we've, you know, we've got some with some exciting releases um, coming up soon that we'll hopefully get. So we might do Halloween and we might do like a, a retrospective thing. I know that you've seen Last Night in Soho. I have. Um, and, I'm excited uh, review, to watch review that. coming soon. Yeah. Or yeah, actually, or, by the time this releases, the review will be out. But <laughs> there you go. So you know what he thinks. I have no idea what he thinks. Um, <laughs> and I think you're seeing Spencer this weekend as well. Yeah, Spencer and Jim Cummings, the beta test this weekend. I'm really excited to see Spencer. I, I need to see beta test because I saw his first movie and cried my eyes out in the cinema. Very I loved movie. it so much. Um, it's absolutely incredible. Um, but I am. we will definitely be talking about Spencer. Yeah, that'll you, be an interesting need, one to discuss. You need a Brit, a Brit to absolutely. tell you. <laughs> you need a very specific anti-royalist <laughs> um, Brit to... It, it, it looks interesting. I mean, I don't know. What, what Pablo the Rain movies have you seen? Presumably I seen Jackie. Any. I have not seen Ooh, Jackie. This will be, my, this will be my first. I, I do want to see Jackie. I doubt that I'll get to it before Sunday. But Yeah, it, if you get a chance to see it either in the aftermath of this or before it, I think it'd be really useful because I was, I'm not a big biopic person and Jackie is a really impressive work and the way it plays the biopic genre right. um, and what it actually is. It's a, it's a really cool tone piece that it makes you very uncomfortable and that Mika Levy score. Oh, it's beautiful. Now I've got Johnny Greenwood, two of the best. Yes. Probably the two best in the business at the moment. Um, yeah, Spencer, cannot wait. So until then, um, when we get around to thinking and spoiling things again, um, I have been Stephen. You have been? Vaughn. Do you want to, to, to plug yourself in any way? To plug yourself? I mean, I can plug both of us. You can find both of us reviewing all sorts of new releases on the twingeeks.com um, sporadically throughout the year. I don't have anything else really to plug. I don't know if you've got more podcasts you're on than me. Uh, well, you, don't. Um, you can catch me on the um, unfortunately sporadically released Ranking the Monsters because um, I mean, I've said on the show, that show, as I hope is obvious from the product, um, 
takes an amount of research to put out. And um, I have a very demanding and busy job, as I know a lot of people do. I'm not saying that people don't, um, but it makes it difficult to get that out in a timely fashion. But please check it out anyway. I think it's good. I think you'd like it. Um, there is the Twin Geeks cast, of course, which is undergoing a metamorphosis at the moment. It's going to come back in a stronger, better version. I don't know how it's going to come back, but they say it's going to be better. And I they, think reported, it's they recorded the podcast good. just for you, just so you would feel yeah. better. Yeah, <laughs> I expressed concern, not concerned if it would be bad. I was like, "Oh, I like this podcast. Why are you changing it?" And they're like, "Don't worry." I'm like, "Oh, hello." And the and um, the DD cast came back, the Daydream cast. Um, so you can listen to uh, Brogan and Pavlos, joined by uh, David, you know, uh, Lord and Master, um, Punch himself, um, talking about Metroid Dread. Yeah, yeah, this is that. Um, and yeah, you can find us both on Letterboxd if you wish to. Um, find me, Stevenage, on Letterboxd. And... X-E-R-O Zebra on Letterboxd, Zero Zebra. Is, it, is, is that fun to explain every time? Is that a... It's just... <laughs> I put myself in a bad corner where I have to tell... I have to spell my name and my, my handle for everyone that I encounter. <laughs> because you made a little kind of like phonetic pun <laughs> with it. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. It was just what was available when I created it 15 years ago or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to make two z sounds in the <laughs> opposite way just to annoy people. Apparently. I didn't have the foresight at the time. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to end on that. We're going to end on this mockery, <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Um, goodbye. <laughs>